Welcome back to the Big Balance Podcast with your host, Brian. And that's it. You're listening to The Big Balance, the podcast for anybody looking for clear, simple advice they can actually apply. Give us a little of your time each week, and we'll help you figure out work, life, and everything in between. That's right. It is just me today. John is indisposed, so we're going to have our first ever solo episode. It's a little bit weird just sitting here talking to myself, so we'll see how this goes. Earlier this week, I read an article that deals with company visions and How do company visions relate to this show? Well, work-life balance hinges on how well our companies operate, and our company's operations are really guided by things like vision statements. So I think it's important to really understand how our company leaders craft these vision statements into working documents, or really in this case, fail to. Now, the article in question is from the Harvard Business Review, and it's titled, Five Reasons Employees Don't Understand Your Company's Vision. To be clear, I'm not really here to either agree or disagree with the author, but I think a lot of their points come from a top-down perspective. And that makes sense. HBR is a management magazine that targets business leaders. But it does take two to tango. And the other dance partner here is the lower-level employee who's impacted by these vision statements. And to keep going with that pun, I kind of feel like the author dances around this employee perspective entirely. Now, before we dive into those five reasons, I want to set the groundwork for my perspective. And it's not anything new. I've said it here before. Company culture, where these vision statements fit, is a lived experience. It's not just a written document. When leaders define what their companies do at the highest level, what they believe in, what they stand for, it isn't enough to slap down words on a piece of paper and say, there it is, there's our culture. It doesn't work that way. There's too much of a disconnect between the hypothetical and actual, and that's bad news. It's bad for organizations trying to build a cohesive team, and it's bad for employees trying to make sense of their day-to-day jobs. So what do we do about it? How do we move from the top-down perspective, as well as the bottom-up, to come to a mutual understanding in the middle about what our company culture really is and does for all of us? What's the difference between that written vision statement and live culture? Well, I think we've all seen examples of this. Consider the companies that call themselves meritocracies. They think they're awarding promotions based on achievement. But if an employee has the perception that office politics are really the only promotional yardstick that matters, that's your culture. Other companies have generous or even unlimited vacation policies. But if frontline workers are afraid of taking those days because their boss will hold it against them, then that's your culture. Many companies strive to be an open team environment. But you don't get that if you don't put time and resources into building peer-oriented support systems. What you do see are toxic relationships where everyone is in it for themselves, because that's your culture. Now, I don't think any of these outcomes are by any means intentional. Managers don't want to breed a cynical or a fearful or a toxic culture, but it does happen. 
And none of this is uncommon either. Despite best intentions, I've seen this in dozens of clients I've worked for and companies I've worked for. Management takes the first step in building these vision statements, but then stops before ensuring that workers and managers are really equipped to live by them. I see it all the time. And apparently, so has this author. So let's dig into those five reasons and really figure out what we can take away from them. I'm not just going to read from the article, I'm just going to paraphrase, but do encourage anybody listening who is interested to find that article and give it a try. Let's kick this off with the first item, lack of communication. And this is a bit of a mixed bag for me. The gist here is organizational leaders aren't communicating the message often enough or they're not mixing it up enough the way they communicate that message. The idea here is if you don't repeat something often enough, people won't remember it. You see this in marketing where agencies will tell you you have to repeat a message at least three to five times before buyers remember your brand. And that makes sense. But I disagree with the intent of this one. Yes, you do need to repeat a message to make it stick. But knowing a vision statement by heart does not matter if leadership says one thing and we see them doing something else. Let's go back to that example earlier from a self-described meritocracy. If you only see members of your boss's inner circle getting promoted, is being told how a great meritocracy you work for really going to change your perception? I would say probably not. So the issue might not be one of repetition, the issue might be one of ambiguity instead. So how do we meet in the middle? Well, to corporate leaders, don't make meritocracy a vague goal. Show, very specifically, how personal achievement is going to be rewarded. If you want your people to succeed, help them by blazing the trail to that success. Likewise, to employees out there, don't assume leadership, quote unquote, sees you. Look, I get it. This one's going to feel bad, but especially in a larger org, we need to promote ourselves and be our own advocates. And yes, for anybody wondering, that is a cat in the background being his own advocate and making sure I and you all out there are aware he exists. So he's living by this one. You guys should too. Up next, different altitudes. Summing up the article here, if you write a really lofty vision statement, one at a 50,000 foot level, but don't make it really relatable to those working at the ground level, you're essentially hoping that those workers can connect the dots themselves. In an age where everybody is split among several dozen tasks each day, there's not always a lot of room to think mindfully about how our company's vision applies to our jobs. And this one I agree with a lot. To me, it reads like the inverse of the saying, can't see a forest for the trees. But in this case, instead of being mired in the details, we're too focused on lofty aspirations to even recognize the details in the first place. And let's look to Sony for an example here and their mission statement. To fill the world with emotion through the power of creativity and technology and to nurture innovation to enrich and improve people's lives. Now, dear listener, think about your job and pretend you're doing it for Sony. How do you live that mission day to day? Is Jane in financial auditing filling the world with emotion? I'd wager not. Sorry, Jane. So what's the key takeaway here? To the leadership team, I would say dig deeper. Make a point of working down from this high-level view and describe how each group or team or business unit plays a part. If I, the Sony employee, don't understand what that mission has to do with me, well, you need to help me understand. How about the employees? Challenge your leaders to bridge this gap. 
If you're asked to take on a new role or responsibility, ask what value this pivot brings to the mission. Because the further you drift from that mission, the more friction you're going to face. And that's a nice segue into the third point that happens to be a big one for me and pairs nicely with episode 19 where we talk about the challenges of overcommitting. So let's take a quick break before we jump into it and my new favorite quote from a French author I only heard about after reading this article. Now that we're back, as a really quick status update on this cat, I swear I am not abusing it. I am not torturing it. It just is very hungry for attention. So hopefully it quiets down. Gave it some wet cat food during the break. Hopefully that does the trick. So let's go on to the third point of low fidelity. If your vision covers a few core concepts, yet an employee's day-to-day responsibilities cover maybe a few dozen things, then you're not leaving much room for them to really focus on vision. This is where my new favorite quote comes in. It's from a French author, and I apologize in advance for absolutely murdering this pronunciation. But from Anton de Saint-Exupéry, perfection is achieved, not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. Love the quote, butchered the name, it is what it is. Actually, if anybody's even half passable at French, let me know how I did with that one. I feel okay about it. Anyway, moving on. I think this is 100% true and way too common of an issue to boot. If management feels strongly about a particular mission or vision statement, then they really need to put their money where their mouth is. And the solve here is for both sides to have a little more conviction. To leadership, recognize that by telling an employee, we want you to prioritize these key things, you're de facto sending a message to deprioritize everything else. If something isn't in your core list, are you prepared for workers to really consider it to be scope creep? And to employees, you need to point out when this scope creep starts to happen. Have a heart-to-heart with your manager and say, I didn't choose to stray from the vision, my responsibilities dictated I do. How do we proceed? Next up is distaste. This one is simple to summarize. An employee may hate their vision statement, but they know that they'll get in trouble for saying so. Significantly more trouble, in fact, than if they just pretend they don't know or don't understand that vision in the first place. So really, they're playing the odds in what they consider a pretty vindictive game. I agree with this premise, but I don't know whether the author considers this to be a sin of the worker or of management. Now, workers don't always have a lot of options when it comes to voicing opinions. If they're worried they'll get fired for speaking out, then yeah, I fully expect them to lay low and feign ignorance. Here's an example of that. The phrase quality over quantity. It's pretty common, and versions of it, I would think, are in a lot of vision and mission statements out there. But let's say an employee gets overloaded with work. What do they do? They're going to start cutting corners to meet deadlines. And if an employee gets called out for going against this quality mission, are they really going to double down on that by criticizing that vision statement to their boss's boss? Probably not. That's a one-way ticket to a pink slip. And the solve here is really one-sided. Company leadership needs to embrace honest questioning and criticisms of that vision statement. Frontline workers have the best view of daily operations, and they know whether or not that vision aligns with how things need to work on a day-to-day. 
And to lower-level employees, look, I'd love to say, have the heart to speak your mind, but I know it doesn't always work that way. That threat of a pink slip is a valid one. Now let's finish off this list with the final point, work avoidance. And this one's also pretty simple to summarize. People like the status quo and are afraid of the unknown. Maybe not afraid of the unknown, but they don't want to put in the effort of making that unknown become a known factor. So what happens when a vision statement upends life as we know it? We avoid the extra work of living that change and look for ways to delay having to step outside of our comfort zone. I don't think there's a single clear-cut verdict here. I think the heart of it is true. People do avoid leaving the safety of the familiar box they live and work in. But recognize that organizational leaders are just as likely to defend the status quo as anybody else. Now, yes, there are some truly innovative companies that embrace change very deeply, but they are the very, very rare exception. And the solve here is one of effective change management. To leadership, changes aren't successful just because the end result is a marked improvement in all of our lives. They take work. Pair any big pivots with a change management program to really smooth that transition. And to employees, Consider change with an open mind while being introspective about any concerns you have. Maybe you feel like management has been resistant to change in the past. Maybe you wonder if that new vision is going to be short-lived and replaced by that old status quo sooner than later. That's valid, but consider how a change could be positive if it's carried out as planned. So those are the main points. Hopefully I did the article justice in my summary. In the end, the onus here has to be on the leadership team. Not just to come up with the company vision, but to help everybody in that company live by it. And I think this is where the author of the article is going. But there's a big element missing from the write-up that I think is critical. There's a power dynamic with very real stakes at most companies. C-level executives make the rules, and the people under them don't have much of a choice other than to play by them. If the options are play ball or get fired, what are you really going to do? So when I'm considering these five issues, I'm thinking about them from that perspective. How much of this is an employee simply reacting to a situation they have no control over? Because any company that looks at a failed vision statement as a function of an uncooperative workforce is turning a blind eye to that power dynamic. So you tell me, do you feel like your company vision aligns with your roles and responsibilities? Do you feel like leaders work to turn a written document into a lived experience for you? Leave a comment letting us know your thoughts. Otherwise, thanks for tuning in again, and we'll see you next week. Now I'm thinking about it. This actually went kind of smoothly and quickly without John, so I don't know. we got to replace him as a co-host. Bring the cat in. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time.